This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. And the pitch is swung on, hit the right field, hit deep. Whitefield going back at the track over his head and over the wall. Do you believe that? And 29 other MLB clubs. Ramirez with a drive to deep right, away, back, gone. Go hey, it's a bomb out there by the Rocks. And boy, oh boy, this third inning is now showtime. It is a judgy in blast. All rise. Here comes the judge. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From humidors to spin rates to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Ace Cast Live. I hope everybody had a day off that you will remember. I know I had a fantastic one yesterday. I hope you had a good one yesterday. And now the final games for the Oakland Athletics of the 2022 season. Going to be down in Anaheim, then up to Seattle, and then Anaheim, the Los Angeles Angels. I like to call them of Anaheim, Disney, and the Rally Monkey will be in Oakland for the last three games of the year. Coming up here from Athletics Farm, the editor-in-chief, Bill Moriarty, will be by. Of course, he does an outstanding job. And then you hear his podcast on A's cast. He's going to be here at 415 because let me tell you something. There's some guys who are ending their season down in AAA absolutely red hot. Geloff went yard again. Soderstrom continues to hit. And Kevin Smith, Kevin Smith is impressive here lately after I don't know what happened to him. Got to meet him down in spring training after the trade. Comes over from Toronto. Talked about when he was a kid. Loved the colors of green and gold because that was his all-star team when he was a kid. I mean, it was this great story. Nice guy. Then all of a sudden he doesn't hit. They send him down. And then he really doesn't hit. And he fell off a cliff. And you're like, wait a minute, this guy, third base, can play shortstop. You know, he's one of those players that's had a taste. And I got a great article for you today on this. The A's have been the kings of finding players who've had a little taste of the big leagues or they've been close to the big leagues and guys that, you know, for whatever reason, they're blocked. The organization that they're with wanted to move on, ready to trade them. You know, someone, someone else's trash is somebody else's treasure. And the A's have been king at that. They've done that with so many guys. That's how they have survived. That's how they've won the past few years. And I have an unbelievable article that I found 
in my email that is going to tell you, because if you're like me right now, and I don't even know if this is real or not. When Google, oh, by the way, I got to finish the guest before I get into it. So we'll have Bill coming up here at 415. David Feldman from NBC Sports, Pac-12 Network. Uh, has his own podcast uh, around the A's, but he's our A's historian. Is I'm if you see this is the background when I'm at NBC, I will be hosting A's pre and post game live on NBC Sports California a little bit later on with Dave Stewart. But all those guys, uh, all the A's people are in the rooms next to us as they're going to be bringing you the game from Anaheim. It's amazing the world we live in. COVID changed everything. Normally, all these guys traveled with the team, but now. They do everything from here in San Francisco. Why? Because once they had to do it with COVID, they realized we don't have to send these guys on the road. And these guys who are running your television broadcast, they've been doing it for so long. They've done the travels. They've been, you know, there's only so many times you can go to Cleveland, Detroit, Kansas City before you go, yeah, I'm good. I don't need to do that anymore. So it's been like heaven for these guys who have spent their lives on the road. It's one thing when you're a young ball player and you're making millions of dollars and you're doing it. Well, when you're older and you've got a family and you got kids and you're gone for basically six months and now you have the option to be at home and you actually have like a regular job where you come and work and go home every night. You know, that's where, you know, I'm in the Xfinity studio. But right next door is where they're going to be running the A's game tonight. And you got the crew down in Anaheim who are all the guys that they've had for all these years who are independent contractors, belong to unions. But actually the game is, you know, directed and called up here. Pretty fascinating. So, yeah, I'm here doing that today. And uh, David Feldman is going to join us, I think, around 440, our A's historian. A lot to get into with him. Plus, maybe a little college football is He's a college football expert, too, working for the Pac-12 Network. And then, by the way, how are my levels, Karate Kid? How are we doing today, Ray? We're doing fantastic, and levels are fine. Everything is going smoothly so far. Fine. Yeah. Is that a little bit better right there? It is better. All right. You can tell me because, you know, I travel my equipment from the home studio here to San Francisco. When you put equipment in a bag, things seem to get turned and <laughs> And stuff. So I started realizing, man, I'm not hearing myself as much. So is that as good right there? Yep, that is just fine. Okay. So, Ray, do you ever have this where Google now pops up on you and says, hey, listen, you only got 10% storage left. You better buy new storage. They don't say, hey, let's go back and purge a bunch of stuff you don't need. They say, let us charge you more money so you can keep all these emails you're never going to need. Yeah, yeah. I, sometimes I get that for sure. I know with the A's, I think we have a little bit of more freedom with Google Drive, and I kind of appreciate that. And there's a lot shoved onto there. But yeah, Google always is helpful in adding more, not really taking away stuff you don't need. Kind of funny. So they they've been handing me, they've been hounding me about, hey, you need to buy more storage, more memory, or you're going to stop getting emails. So I started deleting some emails, and I'm in 2009 earlier today. Oh, by the way, and Shooty Babbitt. I forgot. I kind of am all over the place. And I forgot Shooty Babbitt's going to be here at 5 o'clock from the A's Super Scout with the A's. And, of course, uh, does A's pre- and post-game live as an analyst. So, Bill Moriarty coming up at 415. David Feldman, our A's historian at 440. And the great Super Scout, Shooty Babbitt, at 5 o'clock. So, I'm going through my email going, okay, what do I need? What do I don't need? 
and I came across an old article from David Schoenfield from ESPN. And I remember we talked about this. The date, Tuesday, September 17th, 2019. Wow, was the world different then. 2017. The title of the article says, in, in an age of super teams, Oakland A's built a winner without tanking. Let me read that to you again. 2019. In an age of super teams, Oakland A's built a winner without tanking. And it just, it reminds you of what, not that long ago, where the A's were. When it talked about how teams, and really it was the Astros, who went full on dumpster fire, and teams started going dumpster fire, hoping that, that, that they would reclaim greatness somehow. And the Astros are the one team that did it. And then you had all these teams that have been winning 100 games, you know, Astros then won 107, Dodgers won 106, Minnesota won 103, I want to say the Yankees won 103. I mean, the A's were a team that won 97 games in two years in a row and were only in a wild card game. Wow. I mean, that's hard to believe that you win 97 games and the best thing that it got you was one extra game two straight years. And third paragraph of this article Yet somehow under Billy Bean and David Force in the front office and Bob Melvin as the manager, the A's continue to plug along and have success. They've won 90 games so far and currently hold the lead in the American League wildcard race. Once again, they'd go on to win 97. The tense three-team battle between Tampa and Cleveland, Cleveland, by the way, the Indians at the time, after 2018 surprising 97 wins and appeared in a wild card game against the New York Yankees, this season's run isn't as much of a shock given the weakened nature of competitive balance in the American League, but it's still impressive. The A's have had to overcome issues in the rotation, the demotion of 2018 All-Star closer Blake Trinan, and even a tougher season in 2018, Major League Home Run leader Chris Davis. Yeah, remember Chris Davis fell off the face of the planet. He stunk. Blake Trinan went from being not only a really a Cy Young candidate, but an MVP candidate for how much he worked in 2018 and how good he was. He had a historic season. It's one of the greatest seasons, 11-2 and two with all those saves. He literally had one of the greatest seasons of any closer in the history of baseball. He had fallen off. And the article's got Matt Chapman and Matt Olson, and it's got all these guys in it. Liam Hendricks really emerged, right? Liam emerged. But you really start to look how the A's are built. Like, how are the A's built? Not built on draft picks. They're not built on dumpster fires and draft picks. And it talked about in all those years. I'm skipping through a lot of stuff, by the way. In all those years, the A's have had only three top ten picks in the draft. 
none in the top five. They took A.J. Puck, six, not in the top five, but they take A.J. Puck. When was he drafted? Sixth overall. So you're one slot out of the top five. Uh, they took A.J. sixth overall in 2016. They took Austin Beck, sixth overall. So we had no top fives, but they picked back-to-back years sixth. In 2017, and then the disaster of 2018, ninth overall, Kyler Murray. Yet here they are, not surefire first-round studs, no big free agents, just a fun, exciting, gritty team that has gone 43-22 and since the beginning of July. Yes, that elusive World Series appearance is still out there, and getting past the Astros, Yankees, and Twins won't be easy, and they have to, and they have to first get past the Rays and the Indians to get that shot at the AL powerhouses anyway. Still, if you like a good under, underdog story, this is one to root for. 2019, September, ESPN.com. Put it up there for you. In an age of super teams, Oakland A's built a winner without tanking. Unfortunately, now we are. Now, tanking's a dirty word, rebuild, retool, however you want to bring it up. That's what's going on. And you just go to, it just goes to show, right? You know, we went through a long period of time where we didn't really, you know, draft choices. It was great. You know, Matt Olson was taken the first round a long time ago, Matt Chapman a long time ago. You start winning and you start winning with these guys, right? Guys that are. Diamonds in the rough. Somebody else's trash became your treasure. No one thought Marcus Simeon was going to be a star. God, no. Chris Bassett? Mark Canna, the Rule 5 pick? What? Liam Hendricks? Liam Hendricks? Liam Hendricks was DFA'd Liam Hendricks? So we didn't care about draft picks. And if you look, look at these first-round picks. A.J. Puck turned out to be anything special? Not yet. We're just happy he's healthy. Austin Beck? Kyler Murray? Who lost again on Sunday? If it wasn't for that trash comeback win against the Raiders? Kyler Murray, who they know for a fact, doesn't look at the playbook once he leaves the building, so they got to put it in his contract? Of course, that's all been taken out. He doesn't study, plays video games. Yeah, another another not great Sunday for Kyler Murray. Should have been the A's potential center fielder. Real interesting. That's one of the things that I want to touch on with Bill, and we're going to have Bill on in just a moment. The other thing I want to get into today is something that I heard that I'm starting to think that maybe you, the fan, will be really interested in, but they're not letting us in. Baseball's got this cloak and dagger thing going on right now with how they are using their R&D departments. Karate Kid, do you know what the R&D department is for, for these teams? Off the top of my head, research and development. Research 
and development. I heard behavioral science department today with the Kansas City Royals with their new GM on MLB Now. But yeah, I'm actually a little bit from now going to go to a site on Indeed.com. Indeed.com is where a lot of companies are putting jobs out there. You've seen the commercials, Indeed.com. I'd never been to Indeed.com, but I watch a lot of sports, and Indeed actually runs a lot of their commercials in games, whether it's football, baseball. First time I've ever been on Indeed, and I'm going to tell you that I clicked on it today to find out research and development in baseball, and I found a bunch of jobs right now. Biomechanics Analyst Baseball Research and Development with the Cleveland Guardians. I got a full job description. How about Baseball Research and Development, Tampa Bay Rays? Baseball Research, Minnesota Twins. Hey, locally, the San Francisco Giants are looking for a Baseball Operations Associate Analyst. And they don't pay anything for these jobs. So get ready. <laughs> yeah, if you want to work your butt off and you want to work all day long, you could work make thirty-six to forty-six thousand dollars working for the San Francisco Giants. And oh, by the way, you won't be able to live in San Francisco or anywhere in the Bay Area. This is a fascinating part of our business that nobody's talking about. And I wonder if you're fascinated. And I'm going to use the NFL and how the NFL has let us in on stuff you wouldn't have thought was interesting, like hard knocks, but yet people think it's fascinating. Maybe maybe does baseball need to let us in? Do we have Bill? Get him up on the screen. Where's my guy Bill? Here he is. Bill, how are you? Good. How you doing, Chris? The other night, I so I live across the street from a park in San Jose, and it's got a track around it. So every single night I go out there and I do about four miles, three to four miles every night. Sometimes have a cigar, relax, walk down the track. You know, you're kind of playing for a push when you're walking and smoking a cigar. I was going to ask if those happen simultaneously. (laughs) Yes, I guess so. Playing for a push in that one. You're not looking to win either way. So, uh, and I was listening to Ace Cast and I was listening to your report. Thank you for what you do. The report is fantastic and i think at a time where we are to really get an in-depth look with people who are watching these players and watching our future i think has been a great thing to put on ace cast and thank you for the work that you're doing uh well thank you i appreciate it but you're right yeah i mean you know it's always interesting to look at what's going on in the minor leagues but particularly when a team like the a's is in a rebuild mode like they are now Keeping an eye on these guys is even more important. You've seen so many guys come up to the major leagues for the first time this year. You're going to see, you know, even more over the coming year. And, you know, it's important to know what's going on down there. And and to really understand it, you need to talk to the people who are working with these guys every day. Like our, our last guest on the farm, our podcast for A's cast, was A's minor league hitting coordinator, Jim Eppard. You know, a lot of people don't really know about this guy or what he does, but he's in charge of the development of all the A's minor league hitters. And he's looking at them either in person or on tape every single day and figuring out what they need to do to get better, but not just to get better, but to acquire and develop the skills that will enable them to succeed at the major league level and be able to help the big league team. I thought something was interesting. I talked to him about the A's last 
first-round pick, Max Muncy, who had a really good season this year, his first full season, hit a lot of home runs, took a lot of walks, but he also struck out a lot. And he said, you know, he's oh, such a good he, a minor league <laughs> guy struck out a lot? A future uh, Oakland A struck out? I don't believe what you're uh, saying to me. And in addition to that, he took a lot of walks and hit a lot of home no. runs. No. That's Chris. I'm so, <laughs> and but, we're not sure what position he's going to play. No. No, 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 no. This guy, we're sure he's a shortstop anyway, so you can relax on that front. But, and but, he's a catcher. No, 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 no. He's a, he's one of the few that's not a catcher. He's a oh, shortstop. Yeah. So you're gonna, but yeah. but what was interesting is he was saying that even though he's been hitting well, had a good season, um, because he's such a good hitter, you know, he likes to swing at a lot of pitches because he can hit them, you know. But he said in the instructional league, he was making him actually just get in the habit of taking strikes. Don't swing at every pitch just because it's a strike. Wait for the one that is the strike that you can do the most damage with. So he had him doing things like just going up there, knowing a pitch was a strike and just taking it just to get in the habit of doing that, just to get comfortable doing that so that you can then start to look for the strike that is really the one that you can handle and do the most damage with. But those are the kind of things, you know, that you need to work on in the minor leagues. And this is the kind of stuff that I think baseball, and I wish we could run this massive poll uh, with our fan base. You know, we, we, we know we keep hearing you know, data, data, however you want to say it, but I say data. So research and data, R&D, right? So you got a bunch of guys getting a bunch of numbers. That doesn't excite anybody. But what I've been trying to tell people is it's really the computer in the mind that we really are trying to figure out now. And when we hear behavioral science, the BS department, um, <laughs> you know, that's really when you talk about swinging at strikes, not seeing swinging at strike, you can give somebody all the crunch, all the numbers you want doesn't mean anything to them. It's how do you change their behavior? How do you change the computer in their head? I talked the other day saying, I could find you a bazillion guys who have the same height, same weight, and athleticism as Albert Pujols. That would not be hard to find. Right? We're not talking about the most gifted athlete of all time, but right, I can't right. find somebody with the computer like his in his head. I mean, yeah. his, what, what he has here is something. So that's really kind of our next wave, and that's really what's interesting is how teams are making players better. It's just not, hey, go work on the T. Hey, go work on this. It's trying to get into their mind and how do you change their behavior and how they react and how they play. Well, really, for, for a hitter, the most important thing is their, what we call their approach at the plate, you know, and that means how they're approaching their at-bats mentally. So it's not just what they can do physically or just what the data says. It's figuring out how to interpret all that, how to work with your natural tools, interpret the data, and then put that into the mindset that you go to the plate with. You know, first of all, you have to recognize what the pitches are that are coming your way. Then you have to be able to figure out which of these pitches can I actually do something with? Which ones are worth putting a swing on? Which ones are not worth swinging at? You know, and I think when it comes to the drafts, and I think particularly of late, I know you were talking about this a little bit, I think the A's have really kind of put a bit of a premium on trying to find coachable players, players who will take advice, who will be willing to adapt. Like a guy in the past who couldn't do that was a guy like Ben Grieve. He had great, great tools. He had some skills, but he wasn't 
really coachable. He didn't want to adapt. And when the A's look at players like a Tyler Soderstrom or a Max Muncy, certain guys like this, they look at guys who are coachable, who they think can take that data and interpret it into a mindset and an approach so that they can adapt and develop as they move up the chain. You know, one problem where you see a lot with this sort of mindset that you're talking about is with a lot of the international players. Why a lot of these guys don't pan out, even though they're amazing sort of physical specimen, they've got these amazing bodies and amazing tools sometimes, but because they didn't grow up in the U S they didn't grow up playing little league and pony league and all these, all these travel leagues and everything. So they, they haven't had the time to develop the mindset and the approach. And that's why it takes so much longer with some of these international players. And a lot of times guys that look great at the start, just don't pan out. All right, let's quickly go through this. Jordan Diaz, you said you were not surprised. Obviously what he's done, double a triple a 22 years old and he's raking. Yeah. I mean, it's great to see. That's what the A's need. I mean, he's hit at every level. He's a young kid, 22. He knows how to hit. He makes loud contact when he puts the bat on the ball. The next test is going to be once major league pitchers and scouting departments start to figure out his weaknesses and how to approach him and how to attack him, can he adapt? A lot of guys have that initial success, but then it's all about how do you adapt once they start to to target your weaknesses? Can you adapt as well to that? Hopefully Jordan Diaz can. He can certainly do a lot of damage with the bat, so hopefully he'll uh, he'll continue to have the right mindset going forward as he gets challenged a little more uh, a little more heavily here. Long term, where do you play him? That's a big question. You know, unfortunately, he's a bit of a Renato Nunez type in that way, uh, a little uncertain defensively. I mean, I think to me, first base is probably the best place for him. I've been surprised to see they've been playing him at second. Um, You know, there's been talk about maybe sticking him in left field. Obviously, he can DH a bit. To me, first base seems like the most logical place. But, uh, you know, wherever they think he can fit in, that bat could do a lot of damage in the lineup. So hopefully they'll they'll find a spot for him somewhere on the field. Problem is right there, you got Dermis Garcia. Are are you buying stock in Dermis Garcia? You know, um, 50-50. I mean, I think, you know, if if the power is real and he can keep it up, that's great. Again, they're going to start to learn his weaknesses and attack him a lot more. You know, Dermis does strike out a lot. If those strikeouts, you know, continue to climb, that can be a problem. But if he can put put on enough power, then, you know, he's a worthwhile hitter. But if you've got Diaz and Garcia, you've got a couple guys that can slot in at first, DH, you know, maybe stick him in left on occasion. And, uh, you know, if they're swinging a hot bat, you put him in the lineup. If not, you can let him ride for a little while. But they've certainly got a couple of options there. And it shouldn't be long before Tyler Soderstrom is in the mix. You know, he's already hitting close to 300 his first uh, his first uh, time in AAA here. Um, hit very well in his time in AA earlier this season as well. Leading the A's minor leagues, 29 home runs this year. So the A's are going to have, I think Soderstrom is probably going to end up at first base eventually. That's probably going to be his ultimate position so uh, they should have a lot of options you know if two of the three pan out then you got a a solid first base and dh or first base and left fielder for the future going forward it's a problem and everybody's been trying to tell me it's a good problem to have and i'm not buying it whatsoever we've got way too many catchers slash dh slash potential first baseman got too many of them i mean you you gotta you, you got all these other spots you've got a lot of guys that are the exact same and i just i i can't buy 
that it's a good problem. Long yeah, well, I think the, the ones that are going to stick around, look, you're going to have Shea Langoliers is probably the ace catcher of the future. I think Soderstrom is probably going to be the ace first baseman is the future. You might have a guy like Garcia or Diaz DHing or in left. I think second base Zach Geloff, who's, you know, hit five home runs in his first seven games in AAA is probably going to be the ace second baseman of the future. You got Nick Allen at short. You got Max Muncy a little behind him down the line at short. You got a guy at double A, Brett Harris, who I think, um, you know, is probably a potential third baseman of the future for the A's. Uh, you've also got Logan Davis, a former first round pick, who can play short and third as well. So there are a number of really strong infield prospects. The outfield is where the A's are a little weak, at least at the top of the system. But, you know, that's one of the easier places to acquire talent. And as you mentioned, a lot of the way the A's have built their successful team isn't even from their draft picks. It's from trading for uh, other people's minor leaguers, you know, who the A's can then yeah. develop and successfully put into place. And I think a lot of these catchers will ultimately be used as trade chips because other teams do need catching talent. And, you know, that will be something that you can acquire the other pieces you need with. Connor Capel. 500, two dingers, seven RBIs, last five games. What do you think? You know, again, he's another guy who's come out of the box strong. Once pitchers start to realize his weaknesses and target them, can he adapt? But he seems to me like the kind of guy who maybe has the right kind of mental approach, the right kind of mindset to, to take on a challenge and be willing to adapt. He seems like a gamer, you know, the kind of guy who will do whatever it takes to get better and to win. And hopefully with that kind of mindset, even if he doesn't have the most amazing tools, he can continue to adapt and maybe be a kind of a, you know, Brett Butler kind of player or something, you know, a guy who kind of hustles, isn't a big guy, but knows how to how to do what he needs to do to get the job done and help the team win. Yeah, it's been interesting to watch. It definitely has. And, you know, you never know. That's why you got to play all these guys in a season like this so you can just find out. I'm kind of doing a speed round here. You mentioned mm -hmm. Geloff. It's been great to see the way he has continued to play and how he's going to finish out here in AAA. Uh, yeah, I think he's going to be a really exciting infielder for the A's future. Um, again, he he done nothing but hit since he, he was drafted, had a really good year at double A this year, has hit the ball really well since he's been called up to triple A, started out as a third baseman. He's been playing more second. And I think, you know, having a really good hitting second baseman is a great thing to have, especially if maybe you got a guy at short like Nick Allen, who's more of a defensive specialist, maybe won't ultimately hit too much. I think Zach Geloff, uh, you know, could be a very long-term piece at second base for the A's. Um, and, you know, he could be there by, by late next season. Well, yeah, and, you know, figuring it out here, you know, we just talked about a guy from the Angels going from double A to the big leagues. The A's necessarily don't love doing that, but now that these guys have played, you know, there's been times now in triple A for certain guys, we, we can't use that excuse anymore, and going to spring training could be big for them. How about Kevin Smith? Like, Kevin Smith was here, could not hit. Goes down to AAA, falls off the map. I, I have no idea what happened, why it went so bad. But lately, he's been red hot. Yeah, he's had multiple, multiple homer games. He's hit 10 home runs in the month of uh, September, and he just looks like a totally different player. I mean, sometimes guys just get into a funk, and then they start to get down on themselves, and then they press, and, and then they just can't do anything right. But it seems like as the weather has warmed up in Vegas – you know, he's he's really developed his confidence again. I think he still 
swings at pitches a little too much. He still strikes out a little too much. That is a weakness for him. Um, but hopefully the way he's been hitting the ball in September will build his confidence and help him move forward going into spring trading next year. I mean, I think he's still on the A's map. I mean, he could be, you know, have a shot to be back at third again next season. It's not like there's a lot of, you know, really amazing uh, third baseman right in play for the A's right now. That is a position uh, that is available for the taking. And if Kevin Smith enters spring trading with the confidence he's shown in September at Vegas, he could put himself right back in the, in the mix next season. I mean, we were talking about when I got to meet him in spring training and then the beginning of the year going, well, I mean, he could be filling in because he's really a shortstop. He could be filling in for Elvis. And we said, and the next, you know, wham, gone off the face of the earth. You mentioned Soderstrom. I mean, what are we talking about time-wise? All this kid does, he's a prodigy. All he does is hit. I, You know, where he's going to play, who knows? But how long? How? I mean, what, what else does he have to do? Well, I think, I think probably, again, he spent most of this season in high A. So he still, you know, has really not had that much time above, above high A. I think probably he's going to need next season to get himself really in the position to be able to handle major league pitching. So I'd say to me, I would think, I mean, maybe they'll take a look at him next year, but I would think maybe by early to mid 2024 is when he is the A's starting first baseman. He could, I, I could imagine him opening the 2024 season at first base for the A's. I think he's going to continue to catch some, but I just don't think that's going to be his ultimate position. I think first base is where he's going to land. And I think he's the guy that, you know, that could be the next Matt Olson for the A's at first base, probably starting starting about a year or so from now would be my best on that. I don't think the A's are going to force guys, especially the younger guys, too much next year because they're not expecting to win next year. Probably they're going to get a good, want to get guys in place to start challenging again for the 2024 season. If he has a good season, all right, if he has a good spring, he hits in spring, where does he start? I I think I think he maybe starts at AAA. I don't I don't think he makes the major league squad because I just you know again if you don't think the team is going to win next year you know are they are they going to want to burn that year of control for the guy of the of a young twenty one year old guy at that point um, you know for a season where they don't expect to win I think they'll calculate that it's better to have him at the high levels of the minors learning and adapting there and then having him ready to go, you know, when they're in a better position to challenge um, probably, you know, one more season down the line. I mean, anything's possible, but that, that would be, that would be my best guess anyway, but I think he's probably going to end up a first baseman and not as a catcher anyway. All right. So he starts the season at triple a, I can see that. So he has a good spring. He starts the season at triple a, what if he really starts swinging it at the beginning for Fran Reardon and the Aviators? Yeah, I mean, anything's possible. And and I think, you know, if he's really hitting it well, they'll want to get it. But remember how long they took with Shea Langoliers this year, too? Remember how hot he was hitting at Vegas? Yes, it's and awful. How- and, and, and how, how long that took, I think, you know, they were probably going to be patient with Soderstrom, too, because, again, they're not going to rush it if they don't think they're ready to win. And if they think he's still got some things to, to work out, sometimes guys can be successful at AAA, but they look at what he's doing there and say, ah, it might work at AAA, but he's still not handling those breaking pitches well enough or recognizing them well enough to be able to succeed at the major leagues yet. Let's give him a little more time to get a little more looks at those pitches and figure out how to handle them before we make that move. I know it could be frustrating for the fans, but you know, they're thinking about 
a lot of different variables when they're when they're making that calculation. Anybody else you want to highlight finishing up in AAA who's doing a really good job? I think, you know, we're pretty aware of most of the AAA guys. I think the AA Midland team was the one that was really stacked with so much talent this year. So besides Geloff and then besides Soderstrom, who came up later, again, third baseman Brett Harris, I think, is a guy to keep an eye on. I think he could be the ace third baseman of the future, perhaps. Uh, also, a little below that, Denzel Clark, you know, is a guy we should mention, uh, the, an outfielder the A's drafted in the fourth round. This was his first full season. Um, the guy has, he, he said, about, I think, 15 home runs and stolen 30 bases this year. He's got speed. He's got power. He can play center field. He's probably still maybe a couple years away. But I think, you know, he's a he's a big time guy that, that people should keep an eye on. But in the immediate future, I think Zach Geloff will maybe be the next impact player for the A's at the major league level. I think if you have Jordan Diaz continuing to hit and you add Zach Geloff to that lineup, um, I think those guys could be a pretty good uh, one and two punch uh, in the future going forward for the A's with power on base ability and uh, just a lot of a lot of good contact coming off their bats. So once the season ends, you know, we go to A's cast live Monday, Wednesday and Friday. Let's take it when you have time, obviously, uh, to sure, do an sure. extensive, let's take a look, AAA, AA, how things ended up for the season and the future. So let's do that in a couple of weeks, do a real extensive what to look for as we head off into the offseason before the playoffs end. Absolutely. And we do have the Arizona Fall League coming up at the start of October. And you've got guys like Zach Geloff and Denzel Clark and guys like that who will be playing down there as well. So there will be actual uh, game action to talk about, too. What you do is fantastic for us, and we appreciate it. Great. Uh, same, same to you as well. Thanks again, Tony. Take care, my friend. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. The Coliseum has gone by many names, but none better than the Last Dive Bar. Hi, everyone. Ken Korak here, and my friends at Last Dive Bar are helping us celebrate our longtime home. Last Dive Bar has the most unique merchandise for all Oakland baseball fans. T-shirts, sweatshirts, the Ray Fossey line, and my personal favorite, the lights have taken full effect. Visit their website at lastdivebar.com or follow them on social media at Last Dive Bar. All proceeds are invested back into the A's Community Fund and their affiliated charities. Go to lastdivebar.com. That's Last Dive Bar. Bill Moriarty does a wonderful job covering the A's minor league system. We're going to do, I mean, this is going to be like live as you guys are listening and watching on A's Cast Live. I'm going to be engineering at the same time because he has just walked in, the great David Feldman, and I'm going to set up his equipment as I'm talking to you. A lot to get into with Feldy. Right, here you go, Dave Feldman. Why don't you come on over here? Bring your chair over here. And we'll get you set up here. See if I'm doing this correctly. Get it off mute. Why don't you talk to me? How are you? You know, I enjoy walk, watching the behind the scenes here of how yeah. this all comes together. This is, this is how when people say, oh, my God, you know, what you guys do, it's incredible. And. 
and all this kind of stuff. And you go, no, we still do all our own stuff. We don't have the, we don't have the, um, we don't have the multi-million dollar budget to have, you know, all the hot shots doing it. We do it ourselves. We're grinders. We're, that's what we're like the A's. We're grinders. There's no PAs here doing this. Work. No, no. I, I saw people don't know this, but just moments ago, you scurrying around the building looking for a power cord for your computer. I realized that I forgot my power cord. And then all of a sudden you look down and the little battery starts flashing. It's going to. And I'm like. Oh my Bill, Bill and Bill stuff wasn't working at the time. We went to commercial and I scoured the building here in San Francisco to find the right cord that would keep us afloat. Um, what's important for you in these last X amount of games, one more road trip and three left in Oakland? Well, I think what Tony Kemp said last week about playing through. Uh, you still have to play these games and you still have to earn the playing time and you still have to, for the players on this team, to prove yourself as a major leaguer. There's a lot of young guys on this team and you've talked about it constantly. We, it's been a, it's a churning players through this team. So the ones who are here are going to get an opportunity. They have to keep playing and proving themselves. Uh, as Chudy Babbitt likes to say, there, there's no league higher than this one. So you need to prove that you can play in this league. And for the remaining nine games, that's that's what's at stake. Yes, and, you know, for the young guys, I know people always like to kind of poo-poo it, right? You're like, hey, Connor Cable is hit 500, well, it's early. I don't care if it's early. I want to see all these guys. I mean, I whether Jordan Diaz is the next great hitter in the history of baseball or not, I want to at least see it. Kind of give me hope. Right, right. I mean, I remember all the way back in, like, 1980, and the A's bringing up a young Mike Davis in September. And that was what was fun to see the young players. Walt Weiss in 87. Walt Weiss hit 400 in 87 and be in September of 87. And because of that, the A's felt comfortable trading Alfredo Griffin and making Walt Weiss the shortstop and he won rookie of the year. Uh, you can win your job for next year by how you play. It's, it's interesting you bring up Capel. Look at the number of outfielders the A's have gone through this year. Uh, you know, Skybolt, Cal Stevenson. Uh, Mickey McDonald was up for a while. Uh, Billy McKinney has been around. Here. We're going to be doing a test at the end of the year. Can you name, was it 64 players we're yeah, at now? 64 players. And so I think about the guys who've gone through, and to me, Connor Capel is the first one who looks like a big leaguer to me. Looks like he belongs here. Um, you know, Cody Thomas gets off to a nice start, but there's nothing in that swing. I know he hasn't been on the field that much. Um He's like a, a poor man's Ryan Sweeney, and, and that's Ooh. not a good thing. Um, swingles. Swingles. So at least Capel looks like a big leaguer. Now, his dad was a big leaguer. He was a big league pitcher back in the early 90s and late 80s. Roger Clemens is godfather, for God's sake. <laughs> so Calvin Schiraldi played with his dad, too, at Texas. Vince Catronio called his game. <laughs> <laughs> that's old. But. I, I just watching him with my eyes. I'm like, okay, Connor Cable looks like a big leaguer. He puts the bat on the ball. There's a little pop there. Looks legit. I like this guy. I want to see this guy play for the next nine days. And I want to see what we have. Uh, you brought up Jordan Diaz. Um, young guy. Uh, looks like he's got a good glove. Can't throw. He can't throw. He can't make the throw from second base. Every throw is an adventure. So in these next nine days and how they handle that is how do they improve that? Because he looks like he can pick it out there. And we think offensively he's going to be okay. Um, it's just getting a chance. Nine more days, nine more games to see these guys. 
Yeah, and I want to see him, and I'm glad we're finally getting to see him. By the way, the one great thing, too, about having you is just not when we're talking about being an ace historian. It's the fact that, you know, one of your jobs, whether it's here at NBC, uh, Bay Area, California, or Pac-12 Network, is you put on the show. You know what it's like to put on the television broadcast. And I was thinking about today when they were talking with a baseball executive and, and knowing what I've kind of been researching lately, all the different cloak and dagger stuff that's going on in baseball that everybody's kind of trying to hide their research, their R&D departments, their research and data and all this kind of stuff. And it takes me back to like what you do. You know, who would have thought hard knocks just watching the guys walk around the hotel room in shorts, you know, seeing some of the practice stuff. But just the fact the interaction of the players eating, going to film rooms and meetings would be such a hit on HBO because you really don't see that much. And there's really not that much going on at training camp, how they cut guys and take the playbooks and everything. And I just think there is this whole secrecy, cloak and dagger, data, who's got what, that they're like hiding in baseball, that I wonder that if we actually got let in to see what people were doing, how much more people would be interested in our game? Access, right? It's all about access. And that's what Hard Knocks did. It brought you into this place that you weren't allowed before. You were in the training camp. You were in the meetings where they're deciding what the player's going to make the team or not. It's that access. How do you how do you come to that decision? And that's what baseball, if we were able to get and look at the data and their analytics and why the decisions are made and actually get to that point, I think it would be outstanding for, for, for the fans to learn about that right? To see how decisions are made. How many times do we say, why are you playing that guy? Or why is that guy batting, batting leadoff? Right? Like today, Jonah Bride's batting leadoff for the A's. Jonah Bride is yeah, not- Yeah, why hitting, is that happening? He's not He's not hitting well. He doesn't have a high on base percentage. He's going to bat first against a left-hander in Sandoval. Why? What What led to that decision? Uh, to learn that would be, would be remarkable, right? We, we never had that access before. It's all about- access and, and, and audio, right? To hear things that we haven't heard before. Um, we've always talked about, you know, micing players up and we saw in the all-star game and you see that a little bit with ESPN and the playoffs. Now when they mic'd up Loriano in, in 2020 during the postseason, that was to me was way too stressful, right? Here we're in the middle of a playoff game and they're having a two-way conversation with Ramon Loriano while the game's going on. Well, he, he's got, he should be busy now. And there's balls being hit to him left and right. And he's fielding. That was a little too much access for me. But if you had a guy outside of the game, sitting in the dugout, talking to them, I like that stuff. I like to be able to hear things. I like to hear what the umpires are yelling. Uh, the networks have gotten much better at miking the umpires, and we're hearing a lot more. Uh, last night was a great example with Aaron Judge. He gets called out on a, on a pitch, and you see Aaron Boone yelling, and Laz Diaz, the umpire, is yelling back, and he's saying, that pitch was not low, that pitch was not low. Pick another spot. But that pitch was not low. It was an interesting. So you can argue anything else, but you can't argue that that ball was too low. That, to me, just brings more fans into the game, be able to hear that. And now you're a part of it and you're engaged more. Yeah, because what, what, what I'm hearing is take someone, a high-end team. Because Chris Bassett just said it. Chris Bassett said, loved Oakland, loved my time. But there's things here in New York that helps players get better. He said he doesn't necessarily use it but they have advantages. Well, what is that? 
What is this stuff that certain teams use? And I'm hearing like, take like the Dodgers. The Dodgers will have a department. I'll make it real simplistic. I've got a data group that only works on the guys breaking balls. Okay. Whether you're working on spin, horizontal, vertical, whatever. All you do is work on data and taking each pitcher who's different, right? Everybody's different, how they hold it, release it. Everybody's different. But you take your pitchers and find the best way for them to throw, whether it's their slider, their cutter, their curveball, right? But that's all you do. You don't interact with the other. It's like NASA, right? There's a rocket going up, but you only work on one part of the rocket. You don't work on the entire rocket. And the reason why they do that is that they know their guys are going to get poached. They know people are going to come into the Dodgers and they're going to say, Dodgers analytics, fantastic, high end. We're going to hire that guy away. So when they hire that guy away, he only worked on breaking balls. He doesn't know the entire operation. Like we have all this going on, this cloak and dagger stuff that's going on. Like, as you mentioned, why it'd be fascinating if we had a guy on the broadcast saying, well, you may not think this is a good idea, but this is why this is happening. And I get a sense too. And I've, I've talked about this, like, you know, everybody buy blackjack books. Mm-hmm. This is how you play the sure. percentages of black. And even though you'll go to the table and you'll play that book to a T because the book tells you, even though your chips keep going down like this, you're going to keep sticking because the book told you to do that. I think we get a lot of that. The Atlanta Braves are not going to have a sack punt this year. Yeah. The A's are not going to have a complete game. There are certain teams that even if it isn't working, they're going to stick to that blackjack book. Yeah, and it gets a little frustrating because you don't see the adjustments, right? Real-time, in-game adjustments. These are human beings that are playing this game. Things change, right? Skills change during a season and even during a game. Um, sometimes we get these analytics and we take that out of it, right? And we analytics are not made for the one game. They're made for 162 games for the most part, right? That's how we're trying to judge. But I'm trying to win this game today so what's going to get me to win this game today if i have a pitcher on the mound who is dealing who has not even worked up a sweat he's going through the lineup a third time but they're not touching him although every analytic says well you got to get him out third time through he's he's been bad third time through but maybe not today today's the day and that's where old school baseball needs to meld a little bit with the analytics and you see that on some teams atlanta like you brought up brian snicker is an old-time baseball guy as a manager, and he has a way of, of melding it just enough. He had a rookie throw a complete game shutout last A complete night. game rookie. Yeah, and there was no thought of taking him out because, again, he was just dealing. It was easy. No sweat was, was broken. You need more of that. You can't all be by the numbers. That's why I always go back to last year and the NLDS, the Dodgers and the Giants game five. Julio Urias is, is the one to start. He's, he's, he owns the Giants. And all of a sudden, earlier in the day, we find out, no, he's not starting. We're starting a reliever. We're going to do an opener in game five. What are you doing? Why are you outthinking yourself? And this becomes the story now, right, that they're starting a reliever and not Urias. And Urias eventually comes in in the third inning and pitches four or five innings. It's terrific. But why, why even do that? Why are you trying to be smarter than the game? That, that always frustrates me um, because I think baseball people would never do that analytics people see it and say this is what we're going to do because we're going to, we're smarter than you and we're going to make the decision it's going to work because our paper tells us that i believe in analytics i do mm-hmm. but i think i believe also in baseball and people and there has to be a melding for it to be successful right now in our sport hate to say it 
And you know, putting on TV broadcast, you know, we're waiting for the magic moment. There's a magic moment that's going to happen. But when that magic moment doesn't happen, everybody kind of stays paralyzed. How tough is that when you're trying to put on the show, you're waiting for the big moment, you know it's going to happen or you hope it's going to happen with Aaron Judge breaking Roger Maris's record, uh, Yankee record, American League record, but yet you're kind of paralyzed till it happens. It is. And and when you go into a, into a game and a game broadcast where something historic can happen and that's everything's kind of built around that moment. But as we say, it's live sports. You have no idea what's going to happen. And you have to be, you're prepared. You're prepared for the moment. And, and I want to think, look back at Apple TV last Friday night. They had Albert Pujols. He's two away from 700. Um, so you're thinking, well, it could happen, but the odds of him hitting two home runs tonight, probably not. Well, he, he hits the first one. Now he's one away. And you know he's got probably three more at bats. So you have to be thinking, and you should have been prepared for this. And I think Apple TV dropped the ball in their coverage of the 700th home run. I don't think they were prepared. He hits it. The camera angles were okay. And they showed him coming around and high-fiving Eric Davis for some reason and then going to the dugout. Um, But then they kind of just lost the whole theme, right? At this point, the game starts up again. But the whole story is still Albert Pujols. It should have been double boxed. We should have never had a camera leave Albert Pujols. We should have seen him now for the next five, ten minutes. We needed to see what Albert Pujols was doing. Because that's all we cared about. I don't care about the next guy. And they kind of dropped the ball. And then you need graphics ready, right? You need to support that moment. Here's the list and and put it in perspective. There's a little tiny 700 home run club graphic. There was no payoff to that. I really think they were not prepared for the moment. And it showed. Um, You know, if you've been watching the Yes Network as they've been doing this judge chase you know they they pump up every at bat if he's due up you got a little video package going to break before he comes up they have a camera in his face the whole time uh if he does do it they are going to be ready for it and it's going to be spectacular because of the preparation something that apple tv i think really dropped the ball on with Pujols. i buy that 100 percent. i mean yeah this is you're seeing something that is odds are I would probably, if I had to gamble, I'd say Trout would be the only one. I mean, 700 home runs. We'll probably never see it again in our lifetime. That's a lot of home runs. That's a lot of home runs. It's a lot of years. Yeah, Trout would have to stay healthy, which he hasn't done the last few years. Has a long-term deal. Um, definitely can do it. I mean, he's 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 on that role. He's, you just look up. He's got 37 home runs. He's barely played this year. He's got 37. You're like, well, how is this happening? Because he's that good. But this is maybe a one-time, our last guy that we see hit 700. And, you know, I think back to how the Giants covered Barry Bonds. Uh, the coverage was, was, was gorgeous. They were ready for it. And they, and they had an idea what was going to happen. Um, that goes into every broadcast, or it should go into every broadcast. How are we going to cover this? How are we going to make this, this special moment, maybe a once-in-a-lifetime, and, and bring it even more to life? I think you have to prepare yourself that way. So you worked through McGuire, Sosa, Bonds. You lived it. You worked through it. Now you're seeing this with Judge. Where do you put for you as a baseball, just not A's historian, but baseball historian, knowing what those guys did, knowing how they did it, knowing where Judge is now, what he's doing, how do you view it? Well, to me, Judge, what Judge is doing is even more remarkable than what those players did, what McGuire and Sosa. Bonds is in a different level, the way he played. I've never seen a hitter like that in my life where he'd get one pitch a game 
and he'd hit it 400 feet. He wouldn't miss that one pitch. It was remarkable. But what Judge is doing in this era where offense numbers are down, around the league, offensive numbers are down, and yet he's got 60 home runs. He's hitting 314. He's, he's driving in these runs. His numbers are so much greater than the average when you compare it to everybody else around him in, in this era of baseball. It's spectacular. And he does it with this calmness, right? Nothing seems to phase him. Uh, the way he handles himself in New York and this being his walk year, turning down a huge contract, huge contract to say, no, I'm going to go out and I'm going to earn an even bigger contract and then doing it. Think about the pressure just on that. I think you take that. I, I think what he's doing is even bigger and better than what McGuire and Sosa did because of the time that McGuire and Sosa played. Um, there were home runs flying out of the parks. 50 home runs became kind of an ordinary thing during that era. Uh, you know, Sammy Sosa hit over 63 times. Three times we've gone through this with Sammy Sosa. Um, crazy. But what Judge is doing, we have not seen something like this. He could win the Triple Crown. Nobody with this many home runs has ever won a Triple Crown. That's That says something. You know, let's end on this. I, I started the show because, you know, obviously A's fans will be like, where are you? And I say, well, I'm, I'm here, NBC, going to be doing A's pre and post game live with the great Dave Stewart. And I was talking about how you guys putting on the A's game are just in the booths next to us. Amazing how the game has changed that you guys can bring us a game from a different city, all from right here in San Francisco. Yeah, the remote broadcast, which really – you know, took off during the pandemic when people stopped traveling and they had to figure out a way, how can we put games on television without putting our staff and our people in any sort of danger of, of catching COVID? Um, you know, at Pac-12 Network, we've been doing remote broadcasts since really 2013, 2014, we started doing it. ESPN started during their versions. And then because of the pandemic, it just ramped up the technology. And now you're in a place where you can do broadcasts from, from home. And it's, it's different. Uh, I know for me, doing college football out of a studio in San Francisco compared to being on site and talking to the coaches and being there and feeling it, it's very much a disconnection now for me. Doing the game itself, that's the same. Being in a studio or a truck, it's not really a lot of difference. But being on site, you get the feel for the area that you're in. And I think we lose that a little bit. Um, luckily, luckily, the announcers are still on site. Right, they are there, so they are bringing you that taste of what it's like to actually be there, and I'm so thankful for that. You know, the the COVID year where all the the games were being called on the road from the studio, like last year we called all the games on the road. I think we the viewers lost something because basically the announcers are watching the same thing the viewers are. You're just watching TV and they're calling a game. You have to be there to really get a feel for it. So thankful the announcers are still there, but t technology is unbelievable. Well, I can just say I, I've been crushed all these years once I realized that my Olympic coverage, not everybody was in Nagano or in Brazil or in Russia. It just crushed me. I thought you guys were all there in the ice. I thought you're there in the summer. You're in there in the winter. You're grinding it out. You're in the Olympic Village. You're no, you're not. You're all back here. Yeah, you thought the great Jim Cozumore was out there. At the, at the, he was at the curling rink. Yes. Getting it down, getting, yes. breaking it down. Yes. No, he's in a studio in Stanford, Connecticut. That's that's just that I you know when, when I you know what about uh, God the long time our great broadcaster from Niners Ted Robinson. Ted Robinson was doing the swimming and the diving I thought he was there at the pool no 
Not crush me. Crush my Olympic dreams. Outside of the splash zone, as I said. <laughs> I love doing this. I When I knew you were going to be right here, we had to do it. Thank you, Tony. This was fun. It's always great to have you on Ace Cast Live. Shooty Babbitt joins us next right here on Ace Cast Live. The Coliseum has gone by many names, but none better than the Last Dive Bar. Hi, everyone. Ken Korak here, and my friends at Last Dive Bar are helping us celebrate our longtime home. Last Dive Bar has the most unique merchandise for all Oakland baseball fans. T-shirts, sweatshirts, the Ray Fossey line, and my personal favorite, the lights have taken full effect. Visit their website at lastdivebar.com or follow them on social media at Last Dive Bar. All proceeds are invested back into the A's Community Fund and their affiliated charities. Go to lastdivebar.com. That's lastdivebar.com. Streaming from the East Bay, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. And now the great Shooty Babbitt from the Oakland Athletics, the Super Scout, and you see him on television, A's pre and post game live. He joins us now on A's Cast Live. Shooty, how are you? I don't know if you're in town, if you're in the bushes. How are you and where are you? County, county, county. Uh, I'm back home. I'm knocking the dust off me. I've climbed out of the bushes and finally made it out of the Texas League and breathing some of this beautiful Bay Area, uh, foggish, marine layer, call it what you want, man. But it is so good to be back in the Bay. You go to so many places around the country. When are you able just to sit back and kind of decompress from a season if you're even able to ever do that? I guess once the major season is over with, um, even though my responsibilities in the minor leagues will come to the end in the next couple of days, um, just being a part of a club, you know, wearing every win and loss and, player move um, that everybody does in the organization. Um, I guess you never really just totally decompress, but once that last major league game has been played, either your team has been eliminated or you've been out on the road, advanced scouting and waiting to see if you're going to get in the playoff. It's been so great in Oakland uh, my three years here because we've been in the playoffs. We've been in that one-year run and waiting to the, I mean, every game counted toward the end. So each year is different. Um, This year has been different than any other I've been a part of. Um, But, hey, just like every baseball season, everyone is different. And, you know, the journey is um, quite different once you get to the end. You know, when I think about the journey, you know, for a lot of these guys, you know, they're getting that opportunity. If you could give advice to a Jordan Diaz, Connor Capel, or Geloff down in AAA, or Soderstrom, guys that are, are just getting a taste or about to get a taste, what would your advice be? Man, look here, Tommy. I've always talked about Oakland being a land of opportunity because it just seemed like there's always a need for somebody to step in and help take the lineup or the roster to another level. And due to circumstances this year, I mean, it's beyond comprehension, um, the availability for guys to get an opportunity to win jobs in the major leagues. Uh, The A's are looking for players to step up and prove that they belong. I think a lot of guys have been so fortunate to get a little sample size over the last month of the season uh, to see what the major league life is all about. 
because these guys, they find out right away what your holes are and they go right at you and they'll attack you and you have to make some adjustments. Some of these kids have gotten a chance to see that in a, in a small glimpse. They've got an off-season to get prepared, understanding that the competition level is going to be at the highest level that it could possibly be in spring training. Me as a guy who got an opportunity to go to Major League Spring Training from having a great instruction in the league and there being some opportunity to get some playing time, um, I did everything that I possibly could. I stayed ready. I waited for the opportunity. Uh, fortunately, um, I was able to produce in the times that I got a chance to play. And you never know when you're going to get that chance, man. I mean, this is a lifetime dream that you're getting the opportunity. When you talk about some of the guys, you know, Connor Capel is a guy that uh, I got a chance to lay my eyeballs on in 2019. I saw him twice this year. He's a guy that he's kind of a, 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 a pit bull you know, I, I wasn't as crazy about him when I first saw him. I liked his approach, but I didn't like um, the mechanics in his swing. I see him three years later, a guy who's made some adjustments, who's trending in the right direction, a guy that's hungry. I see a little saliva out of the side of his mouth. And I think all of them should take an identity check right now. If you don't have saliva coming out your mouth right now, something is wrong with you. I'm trying to think. Do I have saliva coming out of my mouth right now? Man, look, you keep a hang in your top pocket, you'd be slobbing <laughs> at the microphone town. Are you kidding me? <laughs> you know, that's interesting, which I, I don't think a lot of people understand. When you're in your business, you see these guys. I mean, you're in the business of judging human beings, and you just don't see them once. You may see this guy at a certain age, and then a couple of years later, you see him again. You know, like you see these guys whether they're in high school and college and you don't draft them and you see them grow up. It's like amazing how guys in your line of business, Judy, will watch different guys throughout the years and you, and you get different impressions, ideas, and thoughts on these guys as they grow good or bad in our game. I mean, that's a great point, Tony. I mean, if you look at a player and you look at the market that you're in, you just can't go out and spend money and just make decisions just on a whim. What's so great about it, you know, my eyeballs got an opportunity to see a couple of these players. There's a lot of thought that goes in and people talk about uh, analytics. I mean, there are so many things that go into uh, evaluating a player. Um, I'm a guy, as a scout, I love to show up early and watch BP and watch prep work and see how about a guy goes about his business professionalism, uh, a guy that's seeking perfection, that's not out there goofing around, that's understanding that they're one call away from getting opportunity. The majority of my time is spent in AA and AAA. So these are guys that uh, can get a chance because they're performing or they can get an opportunity because somebody's gotten hurt or somebody's spoken up for them. You just never know. So that one scout that might have spoke up for you, that one analytical guy that may have noticed something um, it, 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 that's trending with you. Uh, that guy is the one that may be the one to say, oh, yeah, I love this guy. An organization may value your opinion depending on where you stand in an organization, and that could be the difference right there. What do you do when you have a guy that can he can hit, but you're not sure where – you can put him defensively because you don't want to put him in a position that's going to make him look bad and that could end up affecting his bat, his strength, 
it could lose you games because defense can win and lose you games. What 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 do you do? Shooty guy can hit, but I don't know what to, I don't know where to play him. What do I do? There's not many clubs that you look at or you could talk to and say they've got a bunch of guys that could hit that's sitting on the bench. There's just not that many guys. Um, unless you are just non-athletic, um, if you're a stiff, if you're the guy that's clumsy, uh, that have bad feet and bad hands, we're in a league now where there's no pitchers that are getting an opportunity to hit. So there's a place for a designated hitter. If you can rake, if you're productive offensively, they're going to find a way to get you in a lineup. There's a guy who just left here with the New York Mets and the Daniel Vogel back. Every time this guy gets close to leather, he just break out and hides. He's so allergic to that stuff. But put a piece of wood in his hand, and the dude look like a magician. Don't look like a ball player in a uniform, but if you go to the stats and you look at his numbers and the kind of production that he gives you, this is why he gets a chance, because he can swing that pole. Now, depending on your club, you can't have a whole bunch of guys who are like that, maybe one or two, but quite often there is a place for a guy that can hit because there's just not that many guys that can, that are born to swing that thing the way that they do. Yeah, and I think like Jordan Diaz right now, he's a fish out of water out at second base. You know, the time about he could be a first baseman, he could be a left fielder, he could be. When I start hearing all these different positions, I start going. I mean, I know he can hit. We've seen him hit at Double A. We've seen him hit. We've seen him hit Triple A. We're now seeing him hit in the big leagues. Guess what? He can hit. Big question is. How do you find a place for him? And I think that's always something that you think about when someone is just not a natural whatever position. He's a natural third baseman. He's a natural left fielder. If you're not a natural something, isn't that just always something that's tough? Because you got to find a spot for him somewhere. Well, one thing about this game is that you cannot hide on the field. You cannot just put a guy somewhere where you think there's going to be a lack of activity, a lack of action because there's not a bunch of movement up the middle now. I see a lot of guys playing the middle of the dime for a second base is concerned. Um, you see a guy that we designated for assignment a few days ago. He could swing it a little bit, always have swung, and that's what kept him around for a little while. We tried him at third. We tried him at second. We tried him at first. But, you know, the old timer used to always say, if you're going to stand on the corner, you better be able to lean on that pole. So if it's left field or, center or right field, third base or first base, just a little shillelagh working it around the field, filleting the ball a little bit, that's not going to get it done. You're going to have to hit with power, and you're going to have to produce. So there are some positions. Shortstop is such a difficult position to fill at the major league level. You see how valuable this now machine has been for this club. He's a guy that understands what he is offensively, but if you put him at third base, he's not going to hurt you. You put him at second base defensively, he's not going to hurt you. There was a time he used to play shortstop as well. So when you're that kind of guy and you can hit a little, but you're not bringing a whole lot of thunder, you definitely cannot be a liability defensively. If you're going to stand on the corner, you got to be able to lean on the pole. <laughs> Bottom line, bro. I'm gonna I'm gonna steal that from you. I actually I actually really like that. One. Uh, and how about with the shifts going away? You know, I don't mean to single out, but you know, I think two guys that they've made enough money, they're not gonna they're not gonna mind if I single them out. I'll, I'll take back in L.A. 
when Seeger was playing short and Turner was playing third, I mean, these guys both can play in a phone booth. They, they have no range. So the Dodgers, they're one of the first teams that said, we're just not going to shift on lefties. We're shit not. We're going to shift on righties because our guys don't have any range. So we're hoping that a right-hander pulls it and we have three guys over there. So I look at Seeger and Turner. Those guys needed the shifts because they needed that because they needed the help. Do you think taking the shifting out means we're going to have to get a lot more athleticism, athleticism back in the NFL, back in the infield, especially up the middle? You know, Tony, this is like a fish out of water for me here. Uh, first of all, I wasn't a big proponent of the shift, and now that they they did it, one thing that I was very disappointed on was the approach of hitters because they're giving you an opportunity to open up the field, give you a chance to get more hits. All you have to do is utilize your hands and learn how to hit a little more. Some guys are never going to hit because they're sluggers and they're just up there swinging. If you make a mistake, they're going to bust you up. But the guys that can hit, that make a living by taking the bat to the ball, that have good hand-eye coordination, it just blows me away that the game has changed so much because I know how difficult it's always been for a pitcher to pitch when there's traffic on the bases, guys in the stretch, guys are moving, they're hitting and running. The third baseman is playing at shortstop. How in the world can a guy at second base not just take off the third base every single time? If they shift, we're going to make you pay for that. That's what the game was all about, making adjustments and stuff. So, you know, if we're going to cater and make the game more comfortable to the player, when this game has a standard and a set of skill sets and a level of ability that if you're not good enough, you can't play. That's just why, why these guys get paid so much money. That's why these guys are so heralded because they're so different and they're so athletic and they're so capable of making adjustments and doing things that the average guy can't do. So they're making the bases bigger. They brought second base in a few inches. They're doing so much to make the game. Why are we changing the game? The game's been around for 125 years. And I didn't see nothing wrong with the game until they start. only the players change the game. So I know I'm old. I know I'm going to be roadkill in a minute because the game is going so fast it's just going to run me over and get me out of the way anyway. But I don't like to sound like an old prune or anything, man. But I'm watching the Yankees in the Toronto game right now. And you're sitting up here and they got one person on the left-hand side of the diamond, man. It just blows me away. So, you know, I don't know, Tony. I know that's more than you asked for. But I think as long as you keep changing one thing, you're going to have to change another. The one thing, though, I will tell you that I do love about the change. And that's the time clock for the pitchers. I love it because these guys are getting the ball back and they're saying, let's go. You know, there's a lot more, a lot less thinking and a lot more action. And uh, I just love the pace of the game that has gone down in the minor leagues. And I don't think that it's taken any way from the fabric of the game. Yeah, David Forrest, the man you work for, he went to Lansing, he went to Midland, and then he came back and said, man, it's hard to watch our games after watching those games. <laughs> I'm sorry. You're in it the whole time. I mean, you don't want to look down, look away, because you're going to miss something. Uh, and it's just, if you watch all the stuff that goes on in between pitches that could be eliminated, man, I, I just, 
I, I think it's that's one of the things that they did um, that I really like. Now, this robo umpire stuff they're talking about doing that's that's a, that's another conversation for another day. All right, buddy. We know we love having you on. Be well, be safe, and uh, let's tee it up soon. No doubt. I'll see you out there when the Angels come home. The A's come home for that last series, my man. Thanks for having me, Tony. The great Shooty Babbitt. One of the top scouts in the game for your Oakland Athletics, and you see him on television, A's pre- and post-game live. Ray the Karate Kid, who do we have on tomorrow? We have a packed show tomorrow, Tony. We'll have Mark Langston. Mark Langston at 415. The greatest San Jose State Spartan of all time. You know, you got it. 430, we'll have Coach Ballgame. He's been on John Boy Media, and he just came off his Sandlot tour, so we'll hear what's going on. He's also a play ball ambassador for Major League Baseball. And in the cap it all off, we'll have the general manager of the Oakland Athletics, David Forston, at 5 o'clock. I mean, what else do you want? I mean, some people may be slowing down. We're not slowing down. We're taking this thing all the way through the playoffs, all the way through the winter to the winter meetings. I've, I heard some news today about January already leading us into spring training. We don't go away. Baseball does not leave A's cast live. We're 365, 24-7. We're year-round, my friend. All righty. We want to thank Bill Moriarty for stopping by, the great David Feldman, our A's historian. Did you like the little TV aspect? Did you like that today? It was great. I'm telling you, we need to be let in more. That's what that's what that's one of the reasons you think all these NFL games are good. They're not. Last night's Monday night football game stunk. Green Bay, Tampa, that game stunk. But the access and how they let us in lures us into the NFL. It's like whether it's television or it's the video we're seeing on social media, the NFL lets you in. Baseball needs to let us in. What's going on? What is all this data and research and all this stuff you're doing? Stop with the cloak and dagger. Why? 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 He said it best. Jonah Bride's leading off tonight. There's some reason why. Why? Well, no one knows. Tell us why. Tell, tell us why these things that you're doing. And we have. Why do we have to be so secretive? It's a competitive advantage. Ah, we want television. We're trying to sell this thing. I'm going to get more into that. And I got to get into this indeed. I, I really didn't have time. Unfortunately, we had issues, some technical issues, but I'm going to read you some job postings for baseball teams that are all about research and development that any of you could have. It's crazy. They're out there on Indeed.com right now. I'll have that for you. All right, coming up next, we'll have A's Total Access. We'll get you ready for the Halos and the Athletics right here on A's Cast and the A's Radio Network. See everybody tomorrow. The Coliseum has gone by many names, but none better than The Last Dive Bar. Hi, everyone. Ken Korak here, and my friends at Last Dive Bar are helping us celebrate our longtime home. Last Dive Bar has the most unique merchandise for all Oakland baseball fans. T-shirts, sweatshirts, the Ray Fossey line, and my personal favorite, the lights have taken full effect. Visit their website at lastdivebar.com or follow them on social media at Last Dive Bar. All proceeds are invested back into the A's Community Fund and their affiliated charities. Go to lastdivebar.com. That's Last Dive Bar. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.